Hello, and welcome to The Interview, a podcast that presents conversations with top figures in media and politics. I'm Ada McLaughlin, the editor-in-chief of Mediaite, and this week, my guest is Jake Sherman. For this week's episode, I wanted to speak to someone with a front row seat to what happened in Washington, D.C. in the last two weeks. On Wednesday, President Donald Trump was impeached for a second time. That came on the one-week anniversary of the Capitol riot, in which a mob of Trump supporters invaded the Capitol in an attack that killed five people. Jake Sherman, a reporter who made his name writing Politico's Playbook newsletter, was at the Capitol building last Wednesday. He hunkered down in a press room during the riot, waiting for police to regain control, fielding calls from lawmakers worried about his safety. In the midst of this month's chaos, Jake Sherman also launched a news outlet. After leaving Politico last year, Jake, his Playbook co-author Anna Palmer, and Politico veteran John Bresnahan launched Punchbowl News, which sent out its first newsletter in early January. As the Capitol recovered from that violent trauma of last week and the House moved towards impeachment, Jake's Twitter account and the Punchbowl newsletter have become vital resources for finding out what lawmakers are thinking during this shocking time in American political history. I called up Jake on Thursday morning, a week after the riot and one day after Trump's second impeachment, to talk about what happened, what Mitch McConnell is thinking, and what's next for Donald Trump. Jake Sherman is a tireless chronicler of Capitol Hill, who just launched a new venture called Punchbowl News. He is also the co-author, with Anna Palmer, of the book The Hill to Die On, The Battle for Congress and the Future of Trump's America. Jake, thanks for joining me in the middle of a very busy week. Thanks for having me. First off, how are you doing? How is your heart rate and how are your sleep patterns? Well, I have a whoop and my whoop tells me that my heart rate and my sleep patterns are good. I had uh, 80 something percent recovery for two nights in a row and then in the 50s uh, the last two nights. So I feel pretty good. But that actually fluctuates a good deal with my stress level and um, various other uh, how much coffee I consume. Um, But no, I'm good. I'm good. You know, um, uh, the attack on the Capitol was not fun. It was a it was a harrowing experience for all of us. Um, I feel like I feel very gr- uh, lucky uh, and grateful to be safe and alive. So um, that would be that. That's a good um, that's a good thing. But I'm good. I, I feel good. I'm, I'm glad that you had such a precise answer on the uh, on the heart rate and sleep patterns thing. I did not expect that. But uh, let's let's talk about the, the events of the last two weeks. Uh, the president of the United States was just impeached in the House uh, for the second time. Uh, this time it was for inciting an insurrection at the Capitol. Uh, I want to start with that riot, which has to be one of the most insane moments in American political history, where you had the president inciting a mob, the mob marching to the Capitol, uh, storming the Capitol building and calling for the execution of his vice president. Um, And that's why we have days before the inauguration of an incoming president, the impeachment of the outgoing one, Um, with a surprising amount of support, I would say, from, from Republicans. Could you help us understand how we got to this point? Well, that's a really good question. Um, so I will say this: <clears throat> uh, the president um, uh, clearly didn't believe that he lost this election, and is and is um, in a universe in which he is um, in constant contact with people who are willing to feed these these uh, delusions and delusions of grandeur, fr- frankly, um, because uh, he did lose the election. Now, listen. Um, I think the the president is somebody, and we wrote this in our book, our book, which you mentioned at the top very graciously, uh, The Hill to Die On, which came out, God, that's almost two years ago now. Um, we At the beginning of the book, we say something like the president 
uh, demands loyalty of people, but sh shows none in return. And that's what you saw here, right? You saw the president at its most ba at, it, at its most basic level. When you think of this riot vis-a-vis -vis Congress, I mean, targeted Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, the number two Senate, the new number two Republican in the Senate, John Thune. You know, it's a tough thing to know how we got to this place, but I could say this, and this is what I keep coming back to um, when talking to members of Congress and talking to aides is. The president said, go up to the Capitol. We can't win by weakness. <laughs> and the crowd went up to the Capitol and uh, stormed the building with many of them had weapons. I don't know if they had guns, but they had flagpoles and things that would never be allowed in the Capitol in a normal in under normal circumstances. And uh, they tried they took over the Capitol for a period of time. Now, I was in this room, which you could see because we're on Zoom. Um, and um, this is the House Periodical Press Gallery. It's a small, um, a small office that I've been working in for 11 years every day. Um, and uh, we were kind of an afterthought in the sense that there's there's two main galleries. And this is probably a little bit too much information, but I'll no, I love I'll it. Please, I'll continue down this path for a minute. When you're the Senate, how the House and Senate Daily Galleries, which is where the big newspapers, the Times, the Post, all the daily newspapers and and outlets and, and wires um, work here, work in those galleries. We're, when I was at Politico uh, and now at Punchbowl, we're in this small gallery called the Periodical Gallery, which is on the third floor, but it doesn't overlook the House floor. It's a couple feet away. The daily galleries actually overlook, have entrances to the chamber. So we were a bit of an afterthought, but in the sense that the police didn't evacuate us immediately. <laughs> so we were sitting in this room for many, many hours. Um, Did you have security come into the room no. and sort of block? Well, it just you uh, they evacuated us when they evacuated mm -hmm. us. Um, they evacuated us to one of the house office buildings, which they had already cleared. Um, and they did so with, we were escorted by, you know, police officers to that building, but that was pretty far down the line at this point. You know, we had been in this room for hours and, you know, hearing banging and people uh, banging on doors and banging on walls and just feet from us, literally at the top of the stairs right here um, about maybe a hundred feet down the hallway. If that is this, this very famous kind of now this famous image that I post on Twitter. I didn't post the famous image. Someone else did of them breaking in one of the big kind of triple panel steel doors and knocking over a police officer um, to get in the building. I was there during that. And I posted a video of myself telling my, um, my uh, uh, colleague, John Bresnahan, one of our co-founders at Punchbowl to um, get back in the room here because these guys were storming the building and he didn't really listen but um i i we watched them come in and it was just it was frightening just completely frightening now do, while that's all happening were you contacting lawmakers to try and get a sense or or you know aides to try and get a sense of like what they were thinking of while this while this was going down yes um i was i was um i was talking to a lot of lawmakers who are making sure I was safe, both Republicans and Democrats saying, you know, how are you doing? Well, and listen, what people kind of don't understand, I think about Capitol Hill reporting is that we exist in the same building, right? There's 400, 535 members. We have contact with hundreds and hundreds of members a week because they, we roam the same hallways. Our press credential gets us access to, to them to almost everywhere in the Capitol. So, you know, we write tough stories about them, but these are people like that you see every day at work, right? You see, we see Nancy Pelosi, we see Steny Hoyer. I have 
you know, a lot of members of Congress cell phones and they were saying, are you safe? Have you been evacuated? Because they were all evacuated, obviously, pretty early or many of them were evacuated pretty early. So, yeah, um, I was trying to we were trying to find out information. And it was, you know, that was like three days after we had launched our new venture. Um, and uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, so we we were, you know, trying to figure out how to get newsletters out the door while uh, while this whole thing was 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 happening. Yeah, I got to say quite quite the week to launch your new venture, but a, yes, a good one because it's like Punchbowl News really for me this week has been like a pretty vital newsletter to Thank follow. You. Appreciate um, and, that. And, you know, I get the sense from your from reading your reporting and from hearing what Republican lawmakers are saying, even publicly, that there is an intense amount of anger at Trump for what happened yeah. last week. Um, I mean, and, and you know, it's from from just his the the rhetoric that led up to the riot to reports that he was sitting watching TV and refused to act to do anything to stop it. Is that sort of thing factoring into Republican calculations here? Well, um, I think that um, a few things, they're torn between kind of two poles, right? Because on the one hand, if you, if you are somebody who believes that members of Congress act out of, and I'm not saying you are, if one is somebody, if, if there's anybody listening who believes that members of Congress just act out of public policy preferences and um, what's right and wrong, then they're wrong. Members of Congress, members of the House represent 800,000 people. Senators represent anywhere from, you know, 500,000 to 20 million people. And they have to, um, they have to represent a whole host of, of opinions and their number one driving goal is to get reelected. So they are stuck between what they believe to be right and wrong. There's nobody who believes if you listen to the commentary and to the defense of the president or lack thereof, the, the, the reaction from Republicans is why it wouldn't unify the country. Now, I, I said this to somebody, or maybe I tweeted it yesterday, but there's no defense in a criminal case in a public, a public, um, uh, official corruption case of, well, we shouldn't do this because it would tear the country apart. Right. right? It's like that's not... the, the trial of this axe murderer will, will not unite yeah. the country is well, never something that's no, said. That's, <laughs> that's not a defense that I'm, uh, that I'm familiar with. Um, so, uh, so listen, everybody thinks this is wrong and can draw a straight line. If you're thinking straight and if you're, you're honest with yourself can draw a straight line between X and Y Trump saying go and them going now, um, there is a tremendous amount of anger, but if you look at somebody like what, what my uh, friend and, and former boss, Jim Vandehei, who was the founder of Politico and the founder of Axios said, used to say is, what would this person say if you put him on truth serum? And it's very clear that if you put Republicans on truth serum, they would tell you that they are angry and they wish that Trump would go away for good. Mm -hmm. And I, that, that brings me to uh, the question of Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Um, now, so we already have a, a few House Republicans that voted to impeach the president, uh, most notably Liz Cheney, uh, who's the third highest ranking uh, House Republican. Uh, now this this impeachment is headed to the Senate and all eyes are on Mitch McConnell, who is reported. Uh, and again, this is another pretty shocking development uh, is open to the prospect of impeachment or at least has not ruled it out. Um, and he's in fact said that publicly. Based on your best knowledge and best reporting, where does Mitch McConnell stand on the issue of impeachment? And what does his decision either way mean for the rest of the Senate? 
so we explored this a little bit a little bit this morning in our uh, morning edition, and a few we have a few thoughts. Number one, McConnell is leaving open the possibility, and I spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about people like Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Kevin McCarthy, and Chuck Schumer. Those are the center of our universe, and Joe Biden now in punch bowl, um, the leadership and the president. Now, uh, Mitch McConnell, when Donald Trump got impeached the first time ruled it out of, out of, he said, I'm not voting. This is not going to go anywhere and I'm not going to be supportive of it, but we'll do the trial because we have to, because they do have to hold the trial if the house impeaches. Um, now McConnell didn't say that this time. He said, I'll have to listen to the evidence. That's a huge, huge statement from McConnell. Number one, that, so I think <clears throat> that McConnell is, if I had to guess, I think he's obviously seriously considering conviction. Um, he, if he goes, then I think the, I think a lot of people could go right. Uh, John Cornyn, John Thune, uh, a whole host of his allies. Remember they need 16 or 17, depending on how many Democrats vote for it, which I think will be all or all but one. If Joe Manchin does not, I have no idea what he'll do yet. Um, so I, I think that he is waiting to see, listen, remember, and I mentioned this this morning, um, I do think that by the time this trial starts, we could know a lot more here. We, we could have, there could be what much more information out. The political dynamics could change appreciably between now and then. So um, anyway, I, I, I think that um, just McConnell saying what he said, which is so, which is so, um, uh, it's so, it, it's nothing, but it's a lot at the same time. So that's, you know, McConnell is an object of fascination for everybody who watches politics and tries to understand politics. He's driven by his membership in that he wants to be Senate majority leader. He's not at this moment. And and he will do, I think, what's what he believes is best for him and for his members in their quest to regain the Senate majority. Remember, there's a lot of people up for reelection this time around. They'll have uh, Ohio and Missouri. Rob Portman and Roy Blunt will be very two very difficult seats to win. And he has to put them in a good position. There are two close allies of his. So that's the kind of calculus he's going to be thinking about. And what sort of timeline do we have now for impeachment? I know Mitch McConnell has sort of made an announcement about when he's going to allow that trial to happen. What what timeline are we looking at? Yeah, so the Senate comes back next week. We're actually looking, we're trying to figure that out now. Um, he's going to make, listen, it'll be under a Democratic Senate, most likely by the time, it'll have to be a decision that McConnell makes with Schumer, because uh, as soon as the Georgia races are certified, uh, Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, uh, Chuck Schumer will have a majority and it'll be a 50-50 Senate with Kamala Harris the as the, excuse me, the um, deciding vote. So I imagine um, that, uh, I imagine that it'll be in the first couple of weeks because there's actually rules that determine when the Senate must pick it up and it has to be pretty, pretty damn close to when the House sends it. Gotcha. And what's what I find so striking about this period that we're currently in is that we've just spent four years of Republicans operating pretty much in lockstep with Trump. There have been brief moments of castigation of, uh, you know, criticism for policy decisions or for some some of his rhetoric. Um, but no one in Republican leadership has defected from the president in the way that we're seeing them do now in the final weeks of his term. Do you think that that you know, let's say we gave them all truth serum. Is that a political calculation? Or do you think that they're more just generally enraged by what happened at the at the Capitol last week? Uh, both. Um, mm -hmm. So that it's the it's the Venn diagram of the two, right? It's the mm -hmm. fact that 
that Trump is now powerless. He, there's nothing left that he could do for him, for them, right? There's no, the, tra- uh, the best way to think of it is the transaction that Republicans conducted with Donald Trump for many years was, we'll put up with the nonsense because we're getting good policy and judges and for good foreign policy out of it. That transaction has run dry, right? That transaction no longer exists because he's out of office. So the right now they're trying to move on to a new party in, in many respects. And, and, and that new party will, will, um, you know, people like Liz Cheney have made the calculus that there's, that that new party will be better without Trump. I think there's probably a middle ground here that Kevin McCarthy is striking, which is, this is, this is pretty, um, this is pretty bad, but, um, we will, uh, uh, but, but we're not going to impeach him because it's not proper right now, but it's, it's a political and it's a political calculus and a, uh, substantive calculus. Mm-hmm. Now, a, a few weeks ago, I would have said that the Republican party is Trump's party and that they're going to be listening to him and following his lead for the next few years until, you know, 2024, when he runs for president again. Things have changed radically since then. He lost his Twitter account, uh, which is you know a big deal uh, for this president. And but that said, you can make the opposite argument that uh, Trump remains incredibly powerful in the Republican Party, given you know only ten House Republicans voted to impeach him after the events of last week, and he has a strong degree of support from Republican voters still. Uh, given those sort of competing ideas, uh, do you have a sense of what role Trump is going to play in the Republican Party going forward, or is it all still completely up in the air? Trump is going to be a, I mean, listen, I think he'll play a role in some respect. He's been stripped from Twitter, right? He's been, um, so he has, he doesn't have that megaphone anymore, so he can't really weigh in on the issues of the day. He will only be useful in far right primaries. (laughs) I mean, that's kind Mm -hmm. of the, I mean, I don't, I don't, um, I don't have a, um, I don't have a, a sense that he is somebody who is going to be wanted at, um, at a, in a, in a general election context. I just don't see that. But listen, if, if, if there's somebody like Liz Cheney, who's from a pretty conservative, I'm, I'm just using her as an example. Um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not using her specifically, but if somebody like her who has a very strong Republican district crosses the president, could the president be helpful in ginning up opposition to him or to her, to her with another candidate? Yes, that is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think what's so fascinating about it is I get the sense that Ted Cruz or, or you know, and, and candidates like him are probably behind the scenes kind of crossing their fingers that Trump does get convicted by the Senate, because that means that Ted Cruz, if he runs in 2024, doesn't have to face off against Trump. Yeah, um, it's it's the it's the it's what we call on Capitol Hill. Uh, vote no hope. Yes. Right. Uh, <laughs> exactly. uh, where somebody. Like we, we saw this a lot during the debt ceiling crises and the government funded crises. They don't want to shut down, uh, but they won't they can't vote against the solution on the table. Um, uh, so, you know, that's 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 the that's the that's yes, I think that's obvious. People like Tom Cotton, although Cotton is now is now suggesting that impeachment is not the right the right course. Um, so, yes, I think there's a huge pocket of those kinds of people. And I want to look forward to the incoming administration. Uh, we now have, uh, you know, in sort of the last minute, the, the Democrats have taken control of the, or are going to take control of the Senate. They're going to have all three houses. Uh, do, 
that must mean that the power dynamics in Washington have changed massively. Um, you know, where do people like, you know, is Mitch McConnell now going to have to work with Democrats for the next two years? And where does a senator like Josh Hawley now land in in sort of the, the power structures of Washington, D.C.? Well, I, I mean, Hawley specifically, uh, I mean, listen, there's going to be an entire realignment here. Um, uh, there's so there's so much to unpack here. This is like kind of the central <laughs> theory of our entire publication. So it's a little bit different. Please, difficult let's to, get into it. <laughs> well, I don't want to get I, well, we can get into that in a separate question. But so listen, I mean. There, we are in the tightest governing. I'm going to answer this in a really broad way, and hopefully, this is this satisfies some of your some of your answer. We are entering the tightest governing climate in our lifetime. The d- Democrats have the smallest majority in all my time covering politics and covering Congress. In the Senate, it's literally 50-50, and we have a president who is likely going to be a one-term president with a vice president who wants to be president. That is unreal that is amazing those dynamics are amazing to cover with a nation that's really from a pandemic has an unemployment crisis that's that's now growing and sprouting up once again so uh uh every single human be elected official in washington dc is incredibly important right now um and and what we have to understand a little bit better is how uh, Joe Biden sees this universe. Does Joe Biden want to govern like a one, one-term president and push through, really put Republicans in a bad spot and try to make them oppose things that are super popular? Or does he does he feel like he needs to placate the left? I mean, there's just so many dynamics right now. Now, somebody like Josh Hawley, who I think you mentioned, is a... Um, Josh Hawley is is people like Josh Hawley and who have been kind of conservative darlings are finding a come up a come upance at the moment. Um, Hawley and I know his staff is very nervous because a lot of them have reached out to me about his station in the Republican Party and in Congress, broad, you know, broadly speaking. So I just think there are a million dynamics that are that are at play right now, and they're all super interesting and worth exploring. Now, I just want to bring it back to the events of last week quickly. And, you know, we've been we've been speaking about lawmakers for this entire episode. Yep. Um, what is the mood amongst reporters on in the, that work in the Capitol building? Is, is everyone a bit shaken from what happened? Yes. Yeah, they are. Um, I would say this. I would say that um, uh, I have a lot of friends in the press. I mean, we're we're like a family up here. We are. It's amazing. Uh, um, during the pandemic, a lot of people have not come up to the Capitol because it's kind of a war zone with, with COVID. Um, uh, I get tested like every, almost every day, every other day, most weeks. So, I mean, we're very careful. The Capitol Hill press score is extremely collegial, but obviously super competitive, but very collegial. And we've put together a pool, uh, a press pool that shares all of our interviews with members of Congress. So people don't have to come up here and could still, and can still get their reporting, which is actually amazing. Like it's been a really cool experience to see how the press, the Capitol Hill press corps come together. So I only say that to say that a lot of my friends in the press corps are very shaken up and have some, some level of PTSD from our, you know, our workplace being, (laughs) being attacked. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, but uh, you know, listen, we all deal with it in different ways. We all kind of have a job to do. Um, and I, I think a lot of reporters are, are, are um, struggling with, and I'm not speaking for myself here. Um, I'm speaking broadly, um, struggling with how to deal with somebody like a Josh Hawley, right. Mm-hmm. And how we covered his challenge to the election and how we covered him because clearly um, 
he led people to believe something could happen that couldn't happen. Right. He said, well, maybe Joe Biden will be president on January 20th. No, Joe Biden was always going to be president January 20th. This thing was never going to succeed. And you need to understand, you know, and things like that. I think people are kind of trying to figure out how to how to deal with people like that after this whole episode. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like I, I I can't even imagine if it's not just that there was an attack on on the Capitol. It's that there was an attack on your workplace, um, which is just such right. a wild thing to have happen and to be the direct consequence of a group of politicians that you cover every day, claiming that the election was stolen when it wasn't, and sort of convincing these people of that. Um, it's yeah, it's 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 a completely uh, wild dynamic to cover, and I imagine it's it's fascinating to look at. I want to talk about Punchbowl News a little bit. Great. Uh, yeah, we'd love for, to. For our listeners who don't know, you ran Political Playbook for five years, which is sort of the most important and plugged in newsletter for the political class in Washington. And then you and Anna Palmer, who you also wrote Political Playbook with, um, left last year and launched Punchbowl. Uh, you are not the first high profile journalists to leave Politico and start your own thing. Uh, found <laughs> The co-founders of Politico, Mike Allen and Jim Vandehei, started Axios. Now, we now have a lot of news outlets that are covering what's going on inside the halls of power in Washington, D.C. What, what's the idea for Punchbowl News? Yeah, so um, Mike and Jim, uh, it's funny. I, I got to Politico in 2009, and Jim was still interviewing every single person who was hired there. Now we're a 600-person company. So Jim is one of my closest friends uh, and mentors and, I'm, uh, and was, has been like an advisor for us as we launched this. Uh, Brett John Bresnahan, my co-founder, was in Jim's wedding. Or so I mean, there we, we have a lot of ties to that, that the Axios world, and there we're very close to them. I will say this: I, I don't without talking about the how other people cover things, I'll tell you how we plan to cover things. We plan to cover power people in politics. It is a that is the, our North Star. Um, we we believe that power emanates from this building, the Capitol. We believe that um, there are about I'm going to, I say a hundred, but I don't actually mean a hundred. Let's call it between 50 and a hundred people that actually matter in Washington. And they're not people like, um, you know, uh, who are running through metal detectors with guns to get into the house floor. I don't care about those stories. I care about them in, in a passing mention. What I care about is the exercise of power, how people use power to achieve goals. Um, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer and Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden. Those are the people that I am obsessed with every day. What are they doing? What are they thinking? How are they, um, looking to achieve ends uh, who um, that uh, how are they looking to power their agenda through Congress period and through Washington and the Washington games. So that is our plan. And we have a unique view of that because we know these people, not only, we don't only report on them. We know them um, in the sense that we've been covering them for a long time. I wrote a book about Congress, as you mentioned at the beginning. Um, and we've talked a little bit about that was, basically about in, in a large, in large measure, Kevin McCarthy and Paul Ryan and people like that. So they are the center of our universe and we are just super obsessed with them. Another thing that we're going to do that we are already doing differently is we believe news is not a one-way street. We believe that it is a, a, we're building community around content, conversations around content. And I think that is a, um, a unique thing. We're doing a Sunday night show called the look ahead, which is, uh, basically bringing the audience into our, um, our uh, Sunday night planning meeting and having a conversation about what to expect in the week ahead. This week, we're going to have Katie Turr from NBC join us, who's um, uh, who hosts the two o'clock hour, one of the big hours on on MSNBC. 
Um, and we've had kind of pop-up Zoom conversations uh, on topics on all sorts of things. I can tell you these, these things are basically, I say sold out. We're not selling tickets to them, but they're basically sold out. And, and we have two tiers, right? We're going to have a morning newsletter that's free, always free. And then we're going to have all of our other content's going to be behind a paywall. Um, and uh, right now I could say we have, we are, uh, without saying too much, uh, the open rate, the standard industry open rate, I know this because I've been in this business for a long time, is around 30%. We are, um, I don't want to, I just want to be careful how I say this. We are very, 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 very well beyond that. Um, right. And we have met, we have met our, basically our yearly goals, not our yearly goals, but like we, our, what we've done so far is if you, if, you, if you asked me on December 30th where we would be on January 14th, I would say about a third of where we are right now. So I am very, our theory of the case, I think people are, are, are getting, um, are, uh, are buying into, which has been really cool and really great. And I get the sense that you, the, the way you see it is that Capitol Hill is really where everything happens. It is. And not everything, is- but not. The, the, not I, I I want to say everything, but it is it is definitely the center of power in Washington. <laughs> you know, in Mark and I could go. This is a whole other podcast, but uh, uh, much more than the White House. Yeah, in the sense that we're you know uh, you're you're I I know it might make you uncomfortable to call them your rivals, but we have Politico and Axios that put a big focus on the White House. Yeah. Um, it seems like Punchbowl News is going to be quite tightly focused on Capitol Hill because that is where legislating happens. I would say it's more of the way that Washington works. It is the politics of governing more than just Capitol Hill, uh, but it's the politics of governing. That's the best way to think about it, I'd say. And I would say that um, the uh, and I don't think Axios is a rival of ours. Um, and Politico has the greatest Capitol Hill team and has for a long time. Um, so I, that is, they're much more, um, their mandate is to be, is to own everything. Our mandate is to not own everything. Our mandate is to own, is to tell you what these people are going to do before they do it and how they think and how they act and all that stuff. So anyway, I, I, um, I, uh, that's our theory of the case. And there's a lot of room for a lot of people in this business, um, in this space. And, um, we're trying to take a little bit different of attack than everybody else. And you currently have you have a, a pretty small team. You've got you, Anna, and John Bresnahan, Is- and and uh, one more person, Rachel Schindler, who worked with us at Politico, um, then went to Facebook's news yep. operation, and now is uh, our VP for uh, a founder of the company and a VP for growth and product. Are you planning on expanding the staff at all, or can you guys just handle? you know, pumping out all this. I mean, I know you can handle Well, I don't think we'll stay at four for... people. I don't think we'll stay at four people forever. Mm-hmm. But I do think that we will stay very, very small. Um, that's our goal. That's our our mission. That's our mandate is to stay, uh, is to, to not build a massive newsroom because I don't think massive newsrooms um, are the way of the future. Um, I don't, I'm not looking, I'm not telling you I'm reinventing the news. I don't want to give the impression that like we're doing something <laughs> radically different. We're just trying to do something. We're trying to, uh, we feel like we have an expertise and we have some we have some value add and and we're trying to do that the way we want to do it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Interview. Please subscribe to The Interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and check out coverage of my conversation with Jake Sherman on Mediate.com. We'll see you next week.